3: You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and my co-host, as always, Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. This week, we'll look back naturally at England's nine-wicket defeat to Australia in the first Ashes Test and look at uh, some of the major talking points that came out of the Brisbane game. We'll get the Australian perspective with cricket writer Ben Horn, and we'll also hear from the captains, Joe Root and Pat Cummins, as well as 400-wicket man Nathan Lyon. As well as that, we'll discuss England's global domination in white ball cricket, domestic white ball cricket, as well as international, with 17 players recently signed for the upcoming Pakistan Super League. So, there's plenty to discuss. As always, you're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, Hami, I know that you've um, discussed much of this already. Um, on, on two formats, um, but you've had time to, uh, to rest and reflect on England's nine-wicket loss um, on day four and the fact that they were docked five World Test Championship points and got no money. They got fined every cent or dollar of their match fees for a slow overrate. I mean, that is rubbing,
4: <laughs> rubbing salt into the wounds. Absolute salt into the wounds. And I, I still can't get away from the fact that no matter what Joe or anybody tells me that that was the right thing to do back first. wow, well, that wasn't, I'm sorry. It was the right thing to do back first for the team to pick. And it was the wrong team to pick, in my opinion. How broad can't play in that game is just when people say, "Oh, you're a sometimes you're a better player for not playing. They are normally right but this is Stuart Broad on that sort of surface against David Warner, against Australia, and you don't play him. I, I, for me, it's it's madness. They've left themselves wide, wide open, and they're going to do it again at Adelaide. They're going to make a monumental mistake at Adelaide by picking the wrong team again, but we'll come on to that in a second. The 100%, well, when you say it could be worse, it could be worse because by in days gone by, the captain would have copped the brunt of it in England, could have be without Joe Root for the next two test matches because of the slow over it? Over it? Yeah, you know, that would have been a, a hell of a lot worse um, from a team point of view than losing you know, every single penny that they've got. Yeah, these guys are well-paid. well, well Have I changed my opinion at 24, 48 hours after the game? No, this is alarming, massively alarming from, from every angle. Who's picking the team? What decisions are made? The team, everything that goes with it. Yeah, I've got a lot of time for Chris Silverwood. I've got a lot of time. I love, I love Joe Root. I think the world of him. But something's not right here. If, they, if they've seen that wicket and decided that the best course of action was to bat first and pick Jack Leach on that first morning, then something is not right because it was, it was blatantly obvious. If they thought Jack Leach was going to play in that first Test match, two Test matches against New Zealand, friendlies, no World Test Championships. Got to play. If you're thinking Jack Leach is going to play the first test in Brisbane in Ashes battle, Jack Leach plays every single test match over the summer. This is the biggest. Every single two years, sorry, every single every every two years you play an Ashes test match, a test series. You have to be ready when you go into it. To go into it without Broad and Anderson, and go in with Jack Leach, who hasn't played for you all summer, really. I just think it's like rabbit in the headlight stuff, rabbit in the headlight stuff. Yes, they were underprepared, totally underprepared. Australia's batters, three and a half, was it 3,800 compared to Bulls first, compared to England's 800 since the 1st of September when India went home? That tells its own story. But I'm sorry, I, I, I still can't believe the decision that was made in the, at the toss, the team selection and what they did when they won the toss—it still baffles me.
3: Well, I tell you what: amongst many things um, that COVID has changed about the world, uh, the one in cricket is that underpreparedness is no longer an excuse. I think uh, you know the um, practice games and uh, and uh, yeah, it's all ideal, um, but it's just no longer—it's uh, no longer an excuse. I think you know, I think you have to be prepared to be underprepared. Stuart Broad was obviously surprised at his omission, but he said that uh, he didn't think it was right or appropriate to kick up a stink like he did when he was left out in 2020. But he wasn't the only one. Um, here's Australian captain Pat Cummins on hearing news that uh, that Broad and Anderson weren't
0: playing. I thought either one of those two would
1: play in, in every
0: game, um, if not both of them. So, I mean, obviously we'd done our prep and played against...
1: You know, wokes a lot and um, and would a lot. Probably surprised, but you know, they've got plenty of other bowlers that step in which uh, pose just the biggest challenge.
3: That's Pat Cummins admitting that uh, he was surprised and uh, he didn't say pleasantly surprised, but you can't help drawing that conclusion. It's, it has to be said that it's not with the benefit of hindsight that everybody is now saying but it was uh, it was peculiar. Anyway, before we discuss it further, uh, this was Joe Root defending his
0: decision to bat first. I think batting first was the right decision. If you look at how the wickets unfolded, I think, as I say, being 40 for four makes it not look the case. It did didn't. It did quicken up. And we, we showed that we could create chances that second day. And as you saw today, it didn't start misbehaving a little bit more. You, you know, you look at getting 250, even, in that first innings. And, and the game looks very different altogether.
3: That was Joe Root. He would, wouldn't he? Uh, um, you know, he's um, he's not going to admit that it was uh, a dreadful mistake. It just all seemed so peculiar um, uh, and the result so predictable. I mean, it was it was a green wicket two days out from the Test match when everybody saw it for the first time. It was a green wicket one day out and it was a green and grassy wicket on the morning of the match. And yet England persisted with what seemed to be a premeditated plan harmy and it's not the first time i share your admiration and affection for the coach and the captain but it does seem like they they make predetermined decisions sometime before they actually
4: need to be made and then they stick with them come hell or high water absolutely and that's the worrying thing for me it has rained for 2 weeks going into brisbane and we decided to pick a spin bowler over somebody who would have been making his 150th test match. He's making his 150th test match for a reason, because he's good. I can understand the Anderson stuff. Jimmy wasn't quite fit, and I understand that. I get that. But you had to gamble on broad. Um, and you're right. I think it's, it's a, a predetermined plan that, such and such is going to play this game, such and such is going to play the next game, and such and such is going to play the game after, no matter what the conditions, or no matter what how they have performed going into it. It just, it just didn't make sense. We can talk till we're blue in the face about preparation not being great. A lot of people will talk about first class cricket because whenever we whenever we make a mess in the ashes, we say our first-class game's not good enough. County cricket's this and county cricket's that. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense, and, and as much as I want Pat Cummins, to, as much as Pat Cummins is going to say yes, we would have batted first on that, but the the preparation going into it, there's no way you can you, you can justify batting first on that sort of surface and all the go back to is history, history this and history that. Nasser Hussein, Nasser Hussein gets mentioned more than my my first ball in in the Ashes in two thousand six. Nasu Hussein bowled first against Matthew Hayden. Justin Langer and Ricky Ponton. Now, when you, when you, look, at, you look at this, we, it's, not as though, it's not as though England have got Sir Alistair Cook, Sir Andrew Strauss and Jonathan Trott to bat first and get over the first hour. There's only been one person score 100 other than Joe Root in 2021. You haven't got the batting lineup to bat first. They're averaging 20s. They're not averaging 30s. They're averaging 20s, most of these England players. So to say, oh, the right decision was to bat first. It's not. You haven't got the bat line up to bat first. So there's no surprise you were 40 for four. That there just started the whole ball rolling for, for where England got to. Yeah,
3: it's frustrating. Um, we've only got uh, a minute left in this section, homie. Um So just very quickly, um, the, I've got two questions for you. Uh, if the conclusion is that England aren't good enough, and that's that, it's that simple, then, you know, they need to get back on the plane and come home. So they they cannot come to that conclusion. You can't say after one test match, well, we're just not good enough, um, we can't compete. Your thoughts on that? And also, the return of Ben Stokes, again, expectations probably just too high, weren't they,
4: after six months out? Expectations, yes, too high. The thing with Ben Stokes, I've heard, and John Norman, John Norman said it last week in the following on podcast, surely you should have played the ear game and then gone into it. It's like, this is Ben Stokes. You go into Brisbane, when you go into Brisbane first test match, it's like something you've never experienced before. You know, the, the feeling, the emotion, first test match, you know, you, it is, it's like going, it's, it's gladiatorial going into that, that arena and you, you need a gladiator. And four. Probably the best part of two years now, Ben Stokes has carried that England cricket team. It's about time the team carry Ben till he gets up to speed. Yeah, and he wasn't he wasn't too bad. I thought he looked, I thought the first innings, you he only faced 18, 19 balls. I thought he he shaped up quite nicely in defense. He got he got turned round by a good ball, and then the second and more or less exactly the same. So England needed to carry Ben to get him up to match match speed. Preparation, not great, but Anybody that turns around and says, you know, England should have, should have, shouldn't have played him and he should have played a, a game in between to get him in that position is, is again, is, is, is not right. He needed, England needed to carry Ben Stokes to get him up to speed because he carried them. Whether they're not good enough, you know, you're right, they probably aren't good enough. And then question marks are, well, if that's the case, what's the point of taking some of our players who have played a lot of cricket and you, you try and build for the next series? But this is the ashes. You can't do that. You have to go with what you've got the best you possibly can. But you've got to make the right decisions. You've got to make the right decisions. And it was blatantly obvious that the ones that made it, not on hindsight, a lot of people said at 11 o'clock on Wednesday night, when we all sat up and watched it and ready to go, this is the ashes. We all sat up and said, wow, England have got this horribly, horribly wrong. Not just ex players laymen that play club cricket said it before this before the game started that wow i think england have got this wrong and what happened they did
3: yeah they certainly did um and as promised uh, discussing that from an australian point of view now is cricket writer for newscore australia ben horn i know that history suggested that this was always going to happen australia have won nine out of the last 10 Ashes tests on home soil. Um, did it uh, go very much according to plan as far as you were concerned? And by the way, thank you very
1: much indeed for your time. Oh, man, it's always a pleasure. Great to uh, great to see you. Uh, look, I think it did. I mean, the fact that Australia lost that test to India at the Gabba last summer meant we were coming in with a bit more uncertainty about this one. And, uh, you know, with the fact that the two teams that had such a crazy preparation most players had not played a single red ball game for two or three months so it was a bit hard to know what to expect really but uh look I think the quality of the Australian bowling attack compared to I guess some holes in that England batting lineup was probably I I thought always going to be the difference and and that's the way it proved uh the way Mitchell Stark Pat Cummins started that uh First innings, and Josh Hazelwood as well, obviously buying England out for one hundred and forty seven um, it was it was pretty much game over from there
3: now was that the Travis head that you were that you know and, and were expecting to see because there were some English fans that said, "Oh well, he didn't do very well at Sussex, um, and they thought that uh, he might be
1: here a, a weak link, ironically enough, as it turned out yeah well, look I must admit i, I I thought they should have picked Usman Khawaja in one of the two positions, probably opening, but uh, if not uh, number five, but Travis Head was outstanding. And look, I I haven't seen as much as others have of him in the shield competition, but that's what he does in Sheffield shield cricket, perhaps not as consistently as uh, perhaps he should, but he's very, very capable. And, uh, you know, his test record isn't that bad. I mean, he's, He's had, I guess, too much inconsistency at that level, but he that's his third hundred and he averages over 40. So he's shown he's very capable and uh, Australia would be hoping that's a bit of a turning point for him and a bit of a breakthrough innings. And if he can do that sort of thing for Australia at number five on a semi-regular basis, it certainly changes the face of the top order.
3: Changing uh, subject. Um, the way that tours have progressed in the in, in the past in the past decades and, and probably centuries, if, if you like, is that you start off with your best team, you accept collateral, collateral damage, you accept that there will be injuries and a loss of form, and you kind of progress and, and see what you end up with and, and make the best of your resources, much like India did in Australia a year ago when they ended up winning with, with what um, were described as, as bowlers who started off as net bowlers. So England have decided to be cleverer than that and, um, and not start with their, their best team. Rather than take what they can from Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad now, they're going to save them up for later. Well, what do you personally, and, and how would you describe Australians' view of,
1: of England's new approach? Oh, There was definitely shock that one of the two of them didn't play. I mean, given Jimmy Anderson's 39 and Stuart Broad's 35, and the way that um, both of them talked ahead of the series, it was clear that they weren't going to play all five tests. But when Jimmy Anderson got ruled out, I, you know, no one even contemplated that Stuart Broad also wouldn't be playing. So people were shocked. Um, you know, Glenn McGrath apparently went up to Stuart Broad before play and wished him all the best for his 150th, and it was quite embarrassing, I think, for Stuart to sort of say, "Oh, mate, I'm actually not playing." So yeah, it, it was a shock, and um, you can't help but think that if Joe Root was to have the guts to bowl first uh, in that match, that he probably needed Broad in the side to have the courage to do that. So I don't know whether it might've even been a, you know, a a double edged sword in the sense that not having Broad there meant he, he kind of had to bat as well. So anyway, it was sort of a disastrous um, result and yeah, certainly wasn't expected thought, thought Broad would be there for sure. And where do England go from here? Yeah, look, they've got some more big decisions to make about their attack in Adelaide um, because Jack Leach, the way Australia took to him, it's going to be difficult for England to keep picking him. But uh, but then, you know, do you, can you really go into a match with five seam bowlers? I mean, you know, do they need a point of difference there? Someone sort of changing the pace up a little bit. So they're in a difficult position with the spinner, I think, because Dom Bess, who's the reserve spinner in the squad, I'm not sure that he's going to do a whole lot uh, different to what Jack Leach is doing anyway. So that, that's become an issue. But look, they have to pick Anderson and Broad for this match. And uh, the way Mark Wood and Ollie Robinson bowled, I'd be playing them too. So, I mean, in terms of Adelaide, I think they've just got to throw everything at it, play their strengths with the fast bowlers, and hopefully they get a bit of luck with the conditions and get those guys bowling under, night, under lights
3: let's turn our attention to the Australian team then this is uh, what Pat Cummins had to say about the importance of Nathan
0: Lyon to his team I think he's just about our most important bowler wicket taking option but also the amount of overs he bowls. I think even yesterday he bowled without luck but he went at two and a half and over for you know 20 odd overs uh, on a hot day which is you know, huge asset for us.
3: Pat Cummins on Nathan Lyon and now let's hear from the man himself.
0: There are a couple of challenges there for sure. He's a very good player um, off, off front and back foot and he sweeps so it does provide a really decent challenge for the spinners to, to get him caught in the crease there and, and challenge his defence for a long period of time but he's the best player in the world at the moment and as I said he showed his class out there and um, so it's going to be a big, big summer. Um, I've got huge amount of respect for him and the way he's gone about it so I'm gonna to have to make sure that I'll keep keep looking at footage keep keep planning and try and come up with a few different things for him that's for sure.
3: And that's uh, Australian off-spinner Nathan Lyon I, I don't know whether the majority of Australians Ben regard Nathan Lyon as Australia's third best ever bowler but there he is on the
1: list. Yeah it's a um, stunning sort of achievement isn't it for an off-spinner in Australia to have reached the levels that he has but uh, yeah look he's done an excellent job I mean this is in 101 tests so he's basically going at you know four wickets a test which is which is good in anyone's language and I think Australia will be better for him having got that milestone because I I actually think it was a factor against India last year you know Nathan Lyon is a nervous character and um, Mitchell Stark said not so long ago that you know when Nathan Lyon was well over 80 tests it was Is if he had seventy debuts, you know, he's one of those guys that really, really does, um, you know, think about things a lot. So I think um, the expectation last summer of him building up to his hundredth test and four hundredth wicket was a lot, and um, you know, I think now that those milestones are out of the way, you might see a, um, you know, a more freed up Nathan Lyon and back to the way that we've been used to him bowling the last couple of years, and he certainly looked like that for that uh, second innings in Brisbane.
3: I read a stat the other day that uh, he was kept waiting on 399
1: wickets uh, through
3: three COVID mutations.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the 390s for I think I think he might have been on 390 before the pandemic even started. So it was a um, a long wait, not helped by the fact, of course, that Australia's barely played any Test cricket, which you'd be well aware of, uh, Manners. Um, but uh, yeah, they haven't played much. It's quite interesting. I mean, these guys like. Steve Smith and David Warner as well, in particular, uh, and Lyon, who only plays test cricket. I mean, these guys, you know, barely played over the last couple of years. And, you know, Smith and Warner on top of the band they already served. It's, uh, it's a lot of cricket to be missed for guys who are at the top of their game.
3: And finally, I think it was you that, uh, that broke the news or at least first announced the news that Josh Hazelwood would be out of the team. Um, I'm assuming that David Warner will be fit and will open the batting. Um, and are we right in assuming that Jai Richardson will take Hazelwood's place?
1: Yeah, that's the way it's looking, man. It uh, looks like Joe Richardson will play. Michael Nestor, uh, who's the other bowler in the squad, if he was to to play Test cricket, this would have seemed his best chance. He's um, he's very good uh, mover of the ball, so under lights he would be dangerous. He's also a bit of a like for like for Hazelwood, but. Um, uh, he, he's just an unlucky man, unfortunately, Michael Nesser, he, he just uh, There's always a, a reason to leave him out. But look, Jai Richardson's form during the domestic uh, start of the season in Australia was excellent, so it's hard to deny him. He's played two tests before and really looked the part um, against Sri Lanka in 2019. Had a terrible shoulder injury that's um, basically uh, held him back until now. But, um, you know, he's a very good bowler. Yeah, David Warner... He's definitely not 100%. I mean, he's going to have to bat in the nets uh, on Tuesday here in Adelaide and, and see how he moves, really. So they haven't called in uh, another spare batsman. Usman Khawaja is the man on standby. I think they're expecting Warner to play, but uh, it's, it's not over the line yet. And, um, you know, he's certainly going to be playing in a bit of discomfort.
3: Ben Horn, like most of the media, you weren't actually at the Gabba, but hopefully you will be able to... Actually genuinely be on tour for the rest of the Ashes. Enjoy it. Um, I hope to be able to catch up with you again during the course uh, of the, the series. Um, and i assuming that you're, you're along the, in the Glenn
1: McGrath 5-0 camp now, are you? <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, the way it went in Brisbane, you'd have to think that way. I mean, look, this is England's big chance, I think. Even though Australia's never lost a pink ball test, if England are to do it, they have to win in Adelaide and, uh, you know, take their chances from there.
3: Thanks, Ben. Enjoy the rest of the tour. Thanks, Mattis. That was cricket writer Ben Horn from uh, News Corp Australia. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on Talksport Sport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Still to come in Part 3, we'll look ahead to India's test series against South Africa. But next up, we'll discuss what changes England should make for Thursday's second test in Adelaide. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
2: to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective
3: here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show so far or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast, as always, from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app. Further conversations about England's opening defeat to Australia at the Gabba, and uh, looking forward to the second Test match. England. The consolation, I suppose, is that England can't get it so wrong again. Surely, uh, you have just said that you ex- you are expecting them to get it wrong again for the pink ball Test at Adelaide. It's a Test they absolutely have to win. Um, they, you know, they just have to win it. So, what sense of
4: why this sense of foreboding, Harmy? I've got a funny feeling they're not going to play Mark Wood and that will make it a, a, a whole lot worse. Do you know what matters? I hear this, right? I hear this off, I heard it off Chris Silverwood and I hear this all the time. The Ashes is a long series. The Ashes is, yeah, it's, it's, a, it, it's a marathon, not a sprint. They're wrong. It is, a, it is a sprint. The Ashes is 11 days long because you can lose it in 11 days. Nasser Hussain lost it in 11 days. You ask Andrew Flintoff, lost it in 11 days if you don't get it right at the start it's gone it could be gone by lunchtime on Boxing Day it really could and that is a, that's the a sprint that's the thing that people for me I can't understand when I hear Chris Silverwood say it's a long series it's not Chris the the series is gone by Boxing Day on lunchtime on Boxing Day if you do not get this right you know we've had three and a half days here we could have four days in Adelaide if it swings around and if you lose a toss and you're miles behind the game on at lunchtime on Boxing Day, you've got to win three test matches to win the Ashes. You're not going to win three test matches by lunchtime on Boxing Day if you lose in Adelaide and you lose a toss in Australia or 100 for none on day one. The Ashes has gone by then. So keeping bowlers and being funky with your team doesn't make much sense. England have to drop Mark Wood, which... It is the biggest monumental mistake that... I was going to say something else there, but I can't. It's radio, and it. it's live radio, and it's... They have to play Chris Wokes. It showed you the way Australia bowl at the tail end is, that Ollie Robinson is not a number eight. He's a number nine. We can't play with four number, four number nines, four number tens if you bring Bro Anderson back in. So you, you have to play Chris Wokes at number eight because I actually thought Chris Wokes' batting was as accomplished as anybody else's on that, on that deer given uh, in that test match, other than sort of that for that three hour period of Milan and Root. So Wokes has to play. You play a broad in the first test match, and then you just swap broad and Anderson for the second test match. You keep firepower, you keep your batting, you keep your balanced attack, but I've got a funny feeling. England are, they're either going to have to drop Ollie Robinson, or they're going to have to drop Mark Wood. Now Robinson bowled well in that, in that first test match. And I actually think, even though St. Lucia, when we were all there and it was great, The, the Mark Wood got five for not very many. And he was he was pointing up to the talk sport box and he enjoyed himself. He had a great day. I actually thought at Brisbane, that's the best I've seen Mark Wood in an England shirt. His pace was up. He, he was aggressive into lengths. He got he put the frighteners up David Warner. David Warner had roller skates on face of Mark Wood. And he knocked Steve Smith over. Steve Smith averaged 130 in Nash's Cricket in the last three, three or four series. He knocked him over. But I don't see how the balance of this attack and team can get Broad, Anderson and Wood in the same, the same team without playing Chris Wokes. So it's either Wood or Robinson. And I think they want to play Robinson because it was either Robinson or Broad for the first test match. And they went with Robinson. So we will go with Robinson again. I've just got a funny feeling that they're not going to play our fast lad. And why is that relevant? Because everybody goes on about the ping ball. And it's going to swing. It's going to go around corners. It's going to do all sorts. For two and a half, nearly three hours of every single day, five days, it's going to be played in blazing sunshine on a flat pitch in Adelaide. And the ball's going to do nothing. All of a sudden, when the lights take effect and it gets the later on, that's when the ball's going to swing. England might bowl. This is the beauty about D and cricket. You have to score runs for your captain to dictate when the best time is to bowl, declare, and everything that goes with it. If you're bowling at the wrong time, you don't need swing bowlers. You need you need something with a bit of difference, and that is something that England won't have if they leave Mark would out. We've just had it
3: confirmed that uh, Jimmy Anderson is almost certainly playing because uh, it's been announced that he's going to be doing the the pre-test uh, media duties. Just before we move on from Joe Root, uh, not surprisingly, he was uh, adamant that England are not too far away from, uh, from competing and indeed winning against Australia.
0: There were periods of this game where we showed that we're more than capable of getting on top of Australia. We just didn't do it for long enough. And we we're always behind the game after that first hour. We've got to get, make sure that we, we, we keep parity and get ahead of the game early on in the game. And then, you know, back ourselves to, to take those opportunities. When, when you create as much as we did with the ball, look at Mark Wood, 23 times he beat the bat in his first 24 hours. That's, that's impressive. You know, we're doing a lot of things right, the way Olive Robinson involved and you know, changed the game with that, that spell just after the break. We're not far away. I'm not just trying to make, make things up. I, I genuinely believe that if we, if we take our chances better and we handle that, that initial first innings better, we could be sat here in a very different position.
3: England captain Joe Root being uh, naturally optimistic. Now, you just heard me put the point to Ben Horn, uh, Harmy, that, um, you know, for for decades, for centuries, uh, what cricket teams on tour did was start with their best team, accept that there would be some collateral damage and losses through injury, and then, uh, you know, see how they pull up at the end when make do with the best of what is left. England decided that uh, they knew a better way um, and they're saving some of their best stuff till later in the tour. It kind of made sense, but if it, if it made that much sense, I think it would have been tried decades ago.
4: Again, I keep coming back to this when people say, you know, it's, it's a long tour. It's not a long tour. If you don't get the first 12 days right, the ashes is gone. No point saving somebody and no point keeping somebody for the fourth and fifth test match, if you've, already, if you've already relinquished the ashes, if you've already given it up. And that's why you've got to gamble on potential bodies. You've got to gamble on what you perceive as taking a little bit of a risk to make sure that you've got a fighting chance of winning. Everything I've said when it comes to the Mark Wood and the, the Broad and Anderson is irrelevant if you don't score runs. That's England's biggest problem. England's biggest problem is not about how to shoehorn four your four best bowlers into a team. England's problem is how am I going to get 250 runs first innings, never mind 400 runs, to survive and keep in the test match to give me yourself the best chance to, to win. So we can talk. you can go round and round in circles, talk to the blue in the face about what's the best team and what's not the best team and he should be playing or whatever. It comes back to the fact that fundamentally the game is about scoring runs.
3: And finally, just very quickly in this section, um, do you think that the absence of Josh Hazelwood will help England's top order? Um, you know, Jai Richardson's a very, very fine bowler, a bit different, skiddier, swings it more, but um, <clears throat> Hazelwood has been their nemesis.
4: Yeah, and, and a lot of, a lot has talked about the here's the Wood stark commons partnership, and it is... That is as good as you'll get in, in world cricket for me. That's that's a beauty. All the talk of Broden Anderson coming back, play day-night cricket and it's going to swing round corners and we've got a chance and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But hold on, cut the other side. They're not bad. In fact, they're better. And I've heard comments of Jai Richardson's probably going to help because he swings it more than, than Josh Hazelwood. Josh Hazelwood is a fine, fine bowler. He's one of the best bowlers in the world. So for him to be out, that's a bonus for England. Richardson can hoop around corners as much as he want. He's not Josh Hazelwood. He's not delivering the ball from two metres plus. And that in Australia is what makes these bowlers so potent. You know, the, the the height that they deliver it from, the skill sets that they've got, the areas that the ball and the togetherness that Stark Cummins and Stark was off at Brisbane. He was second and then he was off a little bit. And it'll be interesting to see how the balance of this attack goes with Richardson in, if he starts going around a park and so does Stark, then there's a lot of pressure on Pat Cummins. And for about three or four hours in the middle of that day when Root were going well, we seen a little bit of, of, of Australia cracking and Cummins cracking. He has a bowler down, didn't know when to bowl lying, didn't really want to, yeah, Green Green got him out of trouble a little bit. We seen a little bit of Australia cracking when England came back at them in that session just England didn't come back at them enough. But for here's a word to miss, that's a huge miss for for Australia. And finally,
3: uh, confirmation for those of you who haven't heard that Hobart will host the fifth Test match, and it will be a day-nighter. It has to be a day-nighter because when it was scheduled for Perth, uh, that means it's prime advertising time on the more populous eastern seaboard, that's Melbourne-Sydney. So they, they basically sold the advertising in prime time um, and uh, that means that now that it's being uh, played in Hobart, uh, it has to be a day-nighter um, in order to, uh, to sell those or to, to stick to those times. So Hobart will host its first-ever Ashes Test match. Let's, uh, as promised, discuss um, England's impact globally in white ball cricket. Um, it, you know, we, it, it was only 2015 when uh, England was the laughing stock of the world's white ball cricket um, after the ignominious uh, performance at uh, the uh, 2015 World Cup. Um, But now there are England players leading the way in domestic white ball cricket around the world, 12 playing in the Big Bash. Um, Alex Hales has just become the leading international run scorer in BBL history. 17 England players have been drafted into playing the upcoming uh, Pakistan Super League, it is, uh, I mean, I know that there's a sense that England players are the flavour of the month, Army, but it's they're delivering. It used to be Australian players. Do you remember in the IPL, no IPL franchise was complete without its uh, quota of Australian players, and some of them, in all, all truth, were pretty ordinary. It's just the fact that they were Australian, that they were getting a gig. They just had to be a mate with Shane Warne. But England players are are everywhere and
4: they are delivering quite a turnaround. Yeah, it's it just sums up where in well test match cricket is when you see things like that. It's England's white ball game is unreal. Pool of players is unreal. It's nearly as big, it's nearly as big and as good as what India's, if not better, than what India's pool of players are for the white ball game, which is which is frighteningly good when you watch the IPL. Is that a detrimental fact of, um, of test match cricket? It probably is. I think England need a reset when it comes to the thought process towards test match cricket. I uh, listen to, uh, you you, when you watch the TV, the documentaries that have been on, and there's some fantastic doc- documentaries on. NASA Hussein NASA does a lot of it. And he talks about in the, in the 90s, if you play test match cricket well, you got rewarded with a game in the one-day side. Where now it seems you get rewarded for a game in the Test side off the back of one day cricket because we are so good at Test at one day cricket we pick our players off the back of that. Is that showing? I think it probably is. When you look at Milan and you look at Butler, you look at you have two prime examples. Probably the two that forego that you look at Pope. He's got a lot of runs getting into first class cricket, getting into the, the the Test side, and you look at Burns. Somebody who, in the last five years, before he got selection, before he got selection for for the the, the England team, he had five years of one thousand runs in first class cricket, leading into consecutive one thousand runs leading into the side. So he earned the place in the side that goes with it. Is that our problem? Is that is that the point that our first class game isn't producing players, or is it producing players? I'm not so sure. But when you you look at the times I played, yes, you just had to be Australian and you got a gig in for in County cricket. I remember at Durham, we had probably five, six Australians who got a test cap after playing for us. I'm thinking a 20-year-old Simon Cattach, thinking a young Martin Love, Brad Hodge played for Durham before he went on to play for Australia. So they were all there, and for for every one of them names I've just mentioned. Every single county seemed to have one of these Australians who couldn't get in. And when you look at the Australian side at the time, I played against it. It wasn't a bad side. Hayden, Langer, Ponton, Martin, you know, Steve Ward, Michael Clark. It was a very, very difficult side to get in. That we seem to be like that in one-day cricket. But we're not like that in test match cricket. And I think that's showing at this minute in time. So it's great that these guys are getting gigs around the world. It's great that in the franchise stuff that they are the box office names because when they come back into English cricket, it's going to help our young players play better if you're going in with the likes of as much as Alex Hales will never, ever play cricket for England again. If he's playing in dressing rooms around the world, then his skill set's coming back and he's giving his knowledge to some of the young players and making our young players better. So it can only benefit English cricket and that front in the whiteboard game. But unfortunately... We're on an Ashes, We're one Test match in and an Ashes. It's all doom and gloom. We need players to stand up in the red ball game.
3: So success in the white ball cricket it seems. You you make it sound like it's almost mutually exclusive to success in 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 red ball cricket and having a successful Test team um, and can com- being competitive in the Ashes. Um, you know it seems that that white ball success and the more it grows excludes. Or at least seriously harms England's chances of being successful at, at Test cricket.
4: It does, and is there a fine balance? Can we have success at both? I think India do that. India do that very, very well. Have India just got better cricketers than what we have? That their cross, their multi-format players are, are, better, are as good at red ball cricket than they are at white ball cricket. Do we need to decomp- Do we do we need to make sure that? We've got a, a red ball team and a white ball team. I'm not sure what the answer is there, but at this minute in time, you know these are our best players. But something has to be driven into changing the, the outlook of white ball to red ball. You know we've never replaced the likes of Cook, Strauss, and Trot at the top of our order. In 18 months' time, we're going to replace. We're going to have to replace over 1,100 Test match wickets. Where's the next? Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad's coming from? The answer to that is they're not. They're not coming because there's nobody going to be as good as Broad or Anderson, but we need to find out who these, these next cricketers are who are going to take on Australia. When Australia come to England in two years time, it's all about Ashes cricket in Red Bull. You're judged on what you're doing in and against Australia. And at this minute in time, trying to be funky is just not working. You pick your best team. While you've got Broad and Anderson, you utilise them because they're the best at what we've got. And we, if you want to, we go. We look deeper into where the red ball game is. Are we? Is it as simple as we are just not picking the right the right red ball cricketers? Are there players out there that we're not picking in red in the red ball game who are probably going to make us better in the long term if we stick with them rather than just have a short term quick fix? Because actually. He plays well against the white ball. He's good in the environment of white ball pressurized situation. So he must be a good cricketer to play test matches. Test match arena is a completely different animal to the white ball game. It is a different game. You, know, you, you need different skill sets and you also need concentration levels and execution of skill sets for a, over a longer period. And that's why sometimes the likes of great example, Jason Roy. Will not make it what has not met it at test level. Great white ball players, but unfortunately, the test match arena is a completely different game.
3: Okay, mountain to climb. Talking of which, um, India are the best team in the world, I think it's generally accepted. Multi format, greatest depth, some of the best individuals, but somehow the crown just slips a little because um, they have yet to conquer one. Remaining hurdle, and that is winning in South Africa. They've uh, won in Australia twice. Uh, They've won in England. Uh, They've beat South Africa seven times, um, and uh, for Test match tours, and have yet to win. They've managed one draw and have lost six times. That series kicks off on Boxing Day uh, with the first Test match at uh, Centurion Park, and then uh, two more Tests at the Wanderers and at Newlands. It's a massive, massive series. Um, It just looks a little like um, the Indian team internally might be having a few wobbles with Virat Kohli being replaced as ODI captain unexpectedly by Rohit Sharma. Rohit Sharma has also become Kohli's test vice captain, replacing Ajinki Um So internally, um, it just looks uh, as if there are a few wobbles going on there. But if they can win in South Africa in the test series... They will, I think, indisputably become known as one of the best teams of all time.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually think it's the right thing. The wonder uh, when you if when you think about it properly, I think it's the right thing that Virat Kohli has has either he stepped aside or they've stepped him aside from all white ball games. They've got a new coach trying to move forward, take pressure off Virat. The one thing that the world can't have is Virat Kohli not captain. Of the Test team, the ICC and World Cricket need Virat Kohli to be captain of India's Test team because he drives Test match cricket forward. I think if you've not got a, a captain of India who has so much dis, has any disregard for Test match cricket, then you'll see Test match cricket just starting to fall by the wayside. Kohli loves Test match cricket; he thinks Test match cricket is a pinnacle, and he plays it in such a way. I think with a new coach coming in. I actually think it's not a bad thing for India to, and for and for Virat Kohli, more importantly, that he just lets Rohit Sharma take the reins as 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 the white ball as the white ball captain, and you know Virat goes and enjoys his cricket. I don't I don't see him going anywhere anywhere soon. He is such a a fit. He looks a fit character. He looks a strong character. He looks as though his hunger for the game is still there. He will play in every Twenty Twenty game. He'll play in every One Day game. And he'll play in every test match that you know, India want, him, want, to, want to select him. And he's, he's, he's a modern day great. He's one of the best players of, of, of my lifetime. So I don't think this is a bad thing for Indian cricket. If India don't beat South Africa this time, that's it. They'll never beat them because this is their best chance. They're never, ever going to get a better chance to beat South Africa than what they've got because of the players that they've got to go and again a little bit like England sometimes they'll pick the wrong side but I think India the pool of players they've got going to South Africa with a turmoil a little bit of turmoil that South Africa have got because in the next in the next cycle a lot of South African players that have done the coal pack will be back playing and make South Africa stronger I think this is the best time the best chance that India will have for a long time to beat South Africa in South Africa and I think they will beat them
3: I think uh, I think you could be right there. Um, so, Rishabh Pant, Jasper Bumra, Mohammed Shami and Kael Rahul all return to the Indian Test Squad having been rested against New Zealand, while uh, Ajay Jadeja, Shubman Gill and Aksar Patel all miss out due to injury. Um, and uh, South Africa have named a squad of 21 for the three Test Series. Um, and the only mention that Yorkshire get on this week's programme is that Yorkshireman Duan Olufya, the fast bowler who played for them under a pack contract for the last three years. He is back in the South African squad, but uh, certainly not not guaranteed a a place in the starting 11. South Africa have named a squad of 21, including three spinners. Um, They certainly don't need to uh, pack for match day. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast, as always, from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back, as I said, on Wednesday for a full preview to Thursday's second Ashes Test. This has been
2: The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2.